0: welcome everybody back to the oklahoma drill podcast i am your host andrew and as always i have my co-host matt here with me matt we are just five days away from the nfl scouting combine 2024 in indianapolis officially beginning the on-field workouts will start on the 29th a few days later but 26 prospects will be arriving they'll be getting measured they'll be getting weighed medical rechecks will be going on teams will be getting their first chance to get Uh, You know, to talk to these guys, we'll have the media sessions, and we'll have all these prospects up on the podium, get their chance to speak to the public and get in the spotlight for the first time. It is an exciting, exciting time here in the NFL offseason draft season is officially upon us. We just want to go over some of the bigger storylines of this draft class for prospects in particular, what they can gain and what they can really lose uh, when it comes to the combine. Not every prospect has as much on the line at the combine as others and it really is kind of a mixed bag for each player matt i want to toss things to you straight away uh, who are some of the guys that you really are looking for uh let's start at wide receiver and what they could really gain or what they could lose and who has the opportunity to put on a show and kind of make a name for themselves and who is an opportunity to maybe fall down the board but not so great for, uh, performance
1: Absolutely. Uh, My two guys at wide receiver that I uh, think need to really show something is uh, Keon Coleman and Xavier Leggett from South Carolina and Florida State, respectively. Uh, How a lot of their tape shows them being the very fast, the very athletic guys that could go up and get the ball. And I feel like in so many years past, these guys flash incredibly on tape. And then when they make it to the league, they kind of you know falter and and then get tossed to the wayside. Uh, And a lot of the reason that happens is because they can't separate at the next level. And when you have guys like Coleman and Leggett, who haven't really shown that they can separate on at the college level, it brings a lot of concern to that uh, carrying over into the NFL. So really, these two guys need to show a lot more. Uh, they need to pretty much blow the Combine away with their speed, their agility, uh, their explosion, um, just to kind of put scouts more at ease with uh, taking them uh, in the top two, uh, first two rounds, I would say. Uh, I don't know if we're going to see it from either of them, but I wouldn't be surprised either. Uh, especially with Coleman, because Coleman's a guy that uh, he he you can see the athleticism that he has uh, on a play in and play out basis uh, with his body control, uh, with his speed because he was a a return man too. Uh, so he, he we know that he has the ability to to break away and be that uh, that home run threat, but it's just a matter of that translating into numbers that people can see and people can consume and fit out a a draft grade that is tolerable. Uh, And right now, I am sure that we're not going to see it. I am betting more that we're not going to see it from these two.
0: Yeah, it's definitely an interesting question um, with those two guys and Keon Coleman and Xavier Leggett. Uh, Coleman in particular, like you pointed out, he's like a different runner when he has the ball in his hands versus when he's running routes and the short area quickness and the agility and the acceleration, it's like there's an extra bit of emphasis and a, a real focus from him to, to put in that extra gear when he's running away from people and everybody knows he's got the ball and he's the main target. And if he could just pull some of that out before he gets the ball in his routes and some of his cuts and some of his, um, ability once he stacks people because he's not bad off the line of scrimmage he's able to get off press he's able to you know get upfield and win off a release and once you get on top of somebody it's hitting that extra gear and pulling away or giving some sort of some other fake or or movement or lean to make a defender think you're going one way before you go a different way if he can just add some of that to his game I, I really think he could be I think he could be effective. I'm going to counter you a little bit. I think Coleman might surprise people with his numbers. I think Leggett isn't. And mm. so you're a little more down on both. I think Coleman runs mid to high four fours, which I think at his size would be, and what we've seen on tape would be a good number for him. I think if he were to run four or five or lower, you know, that would be concerning, but I think he gets to four, four, six, four, four, seven. Uh, I think he is a, pretty solid 10-yard split. I think he's not going to do as well in the agility drills. Uh, I think that's where he'll suffer, and that's where I think Leggett's really going to suffer. Is going to be the agility drills. Um, Both of these guys, like you said, if you struggle to separate at the college level, it's going to be difficult to separate at the NFL level, even more so. And so you have to have a really, really special ability to make plays in traffic and concentrate and have strong hands and win with guys draped all over you and still be able to be an open target. Because a lot of times in the NFL, even for guys that can't separate, you got to do that consistently because the coverage is so good. So it's a skill to have. It's something that can be you know, valuable to an offense. But like you said, how high does that get you drafted? Is that a top 50, top 65 sort of caliber skill set? Or is that more top 75 to top 100 type of skill set? I don't think either of those guys go that low. I, I just think they're too talented in other areas to, to keep them higher overall. But I, I don't think either of them are going to end up in the first round at the end of the day. No, I agree. And uh, going back to Leggett, there's another thing that kind of
1: works against him. Uh, and that's when he kind of broke out. He's kind of a one-year guy in his mm-hmm. fifth year. And history doesn't shine too brightly on receivers that break out late in their college careers and only have one year of, of uh, of, of, uh, of, uh, of uh, that to really yep. show, uh, production. so, so yeah, production. that's the word I'm looking for. Uh, so that in addition to not being able to separate might really drop them down a few teams boards, uh, and probably mine as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, um, I'm right there with you. Um, We had talked a little bit before the show about guys that we were looking at at each position. Um, I'm going to call an audible and I'm going to go the opposite direction um, from where you were going with the two guys that I have here. First and foremost, you just mentioned it breakout. and, And when you kind of start compiling those stats and for Xavier Leggett, he was an older player, had played a lot of college football and didn't really have that dominant breakout season until his last year. I believe he's a fifth year senior. Um, under Dow Login yeah. right under Dow Loggins, funny enough um, my first guy as someone I've talked about already a lot and someone I'm going to keep talking about because I just think he's still getting slept on Xavier Worthy from Texas you want to talk about breakout age this guy was dominating the big 12 as an 18 year old true freshman and did it for three straight years at Texas and that is a key point with him for somebody that's enti- their entire game is built on their speed and their ability to threaten vertically and scare defensive backs, allowing for space on other routes underneath. You got to go out to this combine. You got to put up, you got to fly. You know, you're going to be trying to be one of the fastest guys at the entire event. You know, if Xavier Worthy can put up 4 3 1, 4 3 flat, maybe even lower, uh, I really think that's going to boost his stock a little bit in a very crowded wide receiver class where there's a lot of talent here. There's a lot of talent in this wide receiver class, and there's a lot of different types of wide receivers. Like you had mentioned, Coleman and um, Xavier Leggett, the guy I was originally going to bring up, was in that same class. And Johnny Wilson, another Florida state receiver like Keon Coleman, six foot seven, huge wingspan, big catch radius, good hands. But can you separate? How much can you run? And conversely, uh, a guy like Worthy you need to put on this show and have that explosiveness have the big 10 yard split have the fast 40 and come in and weigh a little bit more than people are expecting you to because xavier worthy is very very light he's not short he's about six foot one but he is very light he plays at about 170 to 180 and can you have that added weight can you get to 185 can you get to 186 maybe and still run low four threes. I think that'll be really big for him. Uh, the next guy I want to talk about, Matt, someone at the top of the draft class that we haven't discussed on this, uh, this show yet at all, Malik Neighbors from LSU. Um, fighting for the wide, re- wide receiver 2 spot with Romo Dunze, um, potentially challenging some for wide receiver 1 with Marvin Harrison Jr. M- Neighbors in particular, um, watching the LSU offense recently, as I have been, I just I don't think they're the exact same player, but in terms of body makeup and movement and frame, he looks so much like Garrett Wilson. Yes, I was I was hoping you would say that. He looks so much like Garrett Wilson. It's it is his running style after the catch. His running style after the catch, his his shoulders and how square they are, his his legs and the way they chop and the thickness of his of his lower half like it's freaky how much he looks like garrett and I, i think from an athleticism standpoint they are very very similar i don't know if they're the same from a skill point standpoint but from a physical clone athleticism frame body makeup movement agility all of that they are they are very, very similar in an eerie sort of way. And I go back to Garrett's combine, and Garrett ran 4.38, had a 149, 10 10-yard split, 36-inch vertical, 10-foot, 3-inch broad jump. Pretty good numbers, fairly, fairly high numbers, maybe even slightly down from what he was expected to do, but certainly not anything that was questioning his athletic ability. And I think if Malik Neighbors can go out, And put up similar numbers to Garrett Wilson, where you're running in the mid to high four threes. You know, you come in height and weight six foot 183. If Malik Neighbors is 5'11, 185, six foot 183, you know, same sort of height and weight, not too far off from Xavier Worthy as well. Uh, And we don't see Malik Neighbors getting questioned for his, you know, uh, ability to be light. You know, short rant about Xavier Worthy getting called being light, but whatever, we'll move past it. Um, For those two guys, Neighbors in particular, you have the ability to go out and put on a show because I don't think Marvin Harrison's going to be blowing the combine up with his speed, agility, quickness, and, and everything else. He's a big receiver. That's got really good movement skills, great ball tracking, great hands, you know, can make is a good route runner in the technical aspects of it. But I don't think anyone is expecting Marvin Harrison to run four, three flat or four, three, four or anything like that. You know, Malik Neighbors can come out and really take over as that physical freak wide receiver one and kind of boost his stock just like it did for Garrett a few years ago.
1: Yeah, I can absolutely see it. Uh, Like, nothing, not to take anything away from Marvin Harrison Jr., the guy is also a freak. Uh, I have these two guys graded very close to each other. Um, And I can see them going back and forth as my wide receiver one a few times before draft night. And maybe even on draft night. Uh, but yeah, when, when you said Garrett Wilson as a, a comp for him, that, that's something I said uh, a, a couple of months ago when I was watching him uh, just move with the ball. I, the way he stops and starts, uh, mm-hmm. the, way, the, the, the jitterbug type of, of, of runner after the catch, uh, the, the biggest difference I saw is actually a plus. Uh, between him and Garrett Wilson is that he looks like he takes care of the ball a little bit better uh and so if you can have the ability to get a a Garrett Wilson and a neighbors that is truly special unfortunately I don't think we really have a shot at either these two wide receivers
0: um no I I certainly think it's it's going to be tough but but since we're on this topic I don't want to spend too long I want to get some other guys real quick but it's interesting that you have him competing with, with Harrison Jr. for wide receiver one. I want to ask you a question first, and then I'm going to give you, you know, kind of where I feel he stacks within that top sort of two to three to one in wide receivers. Um, him versus Garrett as prospects, who do you have higher? Hmm. That's hard. Let me, let me go back and see what I
1: had for Garrett. Uh, it, it was definitely high, but I also have had... a. Uh, Oh my god, I can't remember his name. <laughs> uh, the, Garrett Wilson's running mate, at Oh, Alave. Alave. Yep. I had Alave slightly ahead of, of Garrett Wilson.
0: Yep, I had Alave uh, wide receiver one that year. Yeah. So
1: I had him. All, all, like point one uh, grade difference <laughs> between neighbors and Garrett Wilson, uh, with neighbors just edging him out a little bit. Okay, so I can I can see. Yeah, I. I I like this wide receiver group so much. Uh, the, the amount of talent, top end, middle of the pack, even at the end, uh, there's just so much talent in this class. Uh, and it's, it really it's is headlined stupid. by these two guys.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, um, I definitely think it is. Um, this is really interesting, Matt. I think Neighbors is my wide receiver three. Uh. I think I have Odunze a higher. Okay. And this is the separation between Neighbors and Garrett Wilson to me. They are very, very close in terms of movement, athleticism, deep speed, ball tracking, hands when, you know, to extend from their frame when they are wide open, they're not body catching, they're not dropping the easy passes. They have good hands in that sense. But Garrett made plays in traffic that Neighbors just doesn't. And Garrett Mm. had that go up and get it ability at 5'11", 183, where you're throwing him jump balls back shoulder down the sideline, and he's rocketing what looks like 45 inches in the air and making a play in traffic and getting hit and coming down with the ball anyway. And I just see neighbors make too many drops in traffic to, to give me that sort of edge to where I would put him over Garrett. And Odunze, I think, has that with his size, obviously. Has the body control, has the contested catchability is better in, in space and with the ball in his hands than I think he gets credit for, and also has the ability to chop you up with his routes to where I think he's just a a tick more complete than Malik Neighbors. And Neighbors is an awesome player. He's probably going to be top 15, if not top 10 on my board overall. Like He is, he is great, and if he can add that little bit of the the extra contested catch ability. I think he could be a Garrett Wilson type of player, but I just don't know if it's that exact same neck and neck to where I'm ready to say, I want him over Garrett. He's faster than Garrett. I'll give him that much. He's definitely faster than Garrett. I think he's more explosive in a straight line than Garrett too. And so there's, there's that little bit of an ounce of athleticism extra. It's just the skill that I worry about.
1: Okay. I mean, that's, that's uh, absolutely warranted and, and also true. Um, really, it's a pick your poison uh, when terms, in terms of these wide receivers. They all have such great skill sets and flourish in what they do well. Uh, and in the end, if you put them in the right system with the, the right uh, offensive minds that can unlock everything that they already do well and, and can maybe even add to that repertoire, then you're going to get a Amazing wide receiver, no matter who you pick out of these top three.
0: Oh yeah. No, they're all they're all studs. Complete and total studs. And like you said, it's not just them. It's them. It's the the mid to late round, you know, first round guys after them. It's the the second round picks, the third round picks, you know, going even down later in the draft. There is talent to be had at wide receiver throughout this draft class. It would be foolish for the Jets not to come away with at least one of them. I would be very angry if they don't. Yeah, as would I. Uh, let's move down on offense here. Um, running back that a lot of Jets fans have talked about more so at the end, but we're going to stay probably more at the top of the class. That's quarterback. Uh, what these quarterbacks really have to gain. Matt, I'll let you go ahead and start again. Um, who you got at quarterback first off?
1: Um, so the guy that I'm going to be you know, tuning into most at quarterback is Michael Penix. Uh, he's had a, a rough go of it at Indiana. He's had multiple injuries and serious injuries at that. Uh, and it's this year that he really took off and kind of solidified himself among the top quarterbacks in terms of production and just looking damn good out there. Uh, but that injury history—it's scary. He's in his—I think he's this is a sixth year, I want to say. Uh, so he's an older guy, and if you just add that. To the injuries, I think it just sends up a lot of red flags, some bright red flags. Uh, so, how he tests out medically is going to be huge. Uh, and a lot of what the quarterbacks do at the combine is really what they do off the field how they interview and how they test out medically uh, and and uh, uh, weight and weigh in and, and hand size. Uh, and I, Am concerned about what they'll find when they put him under the microscope. Will that knee cause a lot of teams to take him off their boards completely, uh, and, and never mind take him in the first round or even the first two rounds? Because that's a risk that a lot of teams probably won't take. Uh, I would say most teams wouldn't take that risk. It's it, there's too much on the line, especially a quarterback. So there's there's very uh, little that i think these scouts will leave unturned uh when it comes to him and his injury history and what he will be capable of going forward uh but i would be very happy to see him prove everybody wrong for him to be cleared by medically and to have scouts then start to look at what he's able to do on the field more so than what's going on with his knees
0: yeah yeah no that's definitely. um his biggest question outside of you know certain things within the tape that I also think can be attributed to those injuries, um, how he is going to hold up over time. And I think that's important to clarify that it's not an injury checkup in the sense that is this guy going to be cleared to play? We know he's able to play. He played just this past season. He played at the senior bowl and was there the entire week. I'm pretty sure he played in the game as well. You know we we know he's in shape it's not a matter of can he come in and play right away it's the amount of injuries he's had over the years that have compiled where is his body in terms of lasting throughout the rest of an nfl career where if this is somebody you're possibly investing a first round pick in you're hoping they can be your quarterback for a decade at least if everything works out perfectly and are you going to be taking somebody whose you know, body physically can't hold up to the toll of being an NFL quarterback for that long, especially for a guy like Penix that really isn't that mobile, that doesn't really have the ability to make a bunch of quick movements in space and evade pressure. I think he's great at standing tough in the pocket. He's not scared of pressure. He can keep a strong base and throw down the field and you know, has the ability to make some people miss and navigate the pocket here and there. But he's more just the stand tall. I'm going to beat you with my arm. I can wait to be laid on a throw and, and out throw you anyway. And that sort of player with an injury question is definitely concerning. Not to mention, you would mention the age. He's less than a year younger than Zach Wilson. Hmm. Like less than a year, like nine months. And Zach Wilson's played three years in the NFL already. And Michael Penix will be 24 as a rookie. You know, that is a a certain other limiting factor uh, when it comes to him, for sure. Um, My guy, I got Jaden Daniels, the Heisman winner from LSU again, another LSU guy on my list here. Um, Biggest thing for him, in my opinion, is going to be his weight and not in the sense that I need to say he needs to be this certain amount of weight to hold up. And any quarterback drafted under this specific 200 pounds has never worked out. It's not anything like that. It's for a player like Jaden Daniels who is very explosive, very athletic, and and an outright dangerous runner. Somebody whose legs and and ability to run with the ball should be featured in an offense. And if you draft this guy, especially if you draft him high, and you don't make that part of what you do, you're wasting his talent, quite frankly. So you know he's going to be exposed. And he has no regard for his body at all. Mm -mm. (laughs) None whatsoever. He is a stunt double at quarterback running with the football. It is some of the most comical uh, is, is the only way to describe it. Comical hits. You will ever see a quarterback take and just throwing his body to the wolves. And I'm sure his teammates love that about him, but his GM and his head coach have to hate it. And so for Jaden Daniels, you need to get to a certain weight because Daniels is a taller player. He's a bit, you know, he's not Kyler Murray in the same sense to where he's short. And and somewhat thickly built and really fast and able to hold up and take some, you know, uh, take some hits and some damage. Daniels is wiry, he's lengthy, he's long. And that sort of frame makes it even harder for him to have the muscle mass required to stand up to these hits. So if you can get to that certain weight, if Jaden Daniels can get to about 210, 215, like I, I would really like to see, And still go out and put on a show in the drills and run and and blow up the track and run four, three, five or lower or something crazy like that and and be this, you know, dominant athlete at a bigger weight. It's really going to give a boost to his draft stock. We can see him put some good weight on that frame and show that he can take the test and build up and and be that sort of franchise caliber quarterback who can take the punishment. And I think a, a good comparison to see the difference is somebody like Justin Fields where Justin Fields was 6'4", 220, 225 coming out and and looked it and was rocked up and was tall and had broad shoulders and was thickly built and wasn't nearly as, as skinny and wiry as Daniels. So I really think, you know, going on and, and showing you can be explosive and put on some good weight is going to give some teams some confidence. And, and if they don't, and if he doesn't, and he shows up 207, 210 maybe, you know, really light, still looks real skinny, still runs like crazy, but is, you know, 6'3", 205, I, I think it could give some teams some pause.
1: No, absolutely. He's another guy that's uh, kind of up there in age. He's going to be twenty, almost 24 when the season rolls around. Um, he, When it comes to durability and age, I feel like that's automatically going to give pause to, to a lot of teams. Uh, the same as it was with the Uh The difference is he has been able to stay mostly healthy. So with that in mind, no idea how, how, but yeah, he's just like Gumby out there. He's just, right.
0: And he's I've watched him and for what it's worth, he gets knocked out of games. I watched like four or five LSU games over this past, uh, from this past season over the last day or two. And in two out of the five of them, he got knocked out of the game and either didn't return because he got knocked out at the end of the third quarter or got knocked out right before halftime and then came back in the third quarter. And it's from crazy hits that he was taking. And if that's happening at the, at the college level, imagine if that happens at the NFL level. Yep, everything's amplified. Uh, so yeah, I can I could definitely
1: see people maybe uh, dropping him a little bit because of that. But the talent is still there like you can see that he is bursting at the seams with potential as a thrower and a runner uh, so some, sometimes that's all you really need and, and all concerns can get thrown away a little bit uh, when if you can show what he's shown uh, but what he shows up as uh, as far as weight and being able giving passing the eye test of being able to take the hits uh, will definitely do him a lot of favors
0: yeah, I don't think it's going to you know, it's not going to be is he going to be a first round pick? It's going to be is he going to be a top 3 pick or is he going to be a top 10 to 15 pick?
1: Yeah, it, it, either way, he's going to go pretty high.
0: Yeah, that's that's a that's a given given his talent. All right, where do you want to go next Matt? What position we ahead and do next?
1: I don't know. Let's see. Uh let's stay on the offensive side and go with offensive tackle. Uh this is also a very deep uh, position group in this year's class, uh, especially at tackle. And one guy that really got me excited when I watched his tape um, was has some I- I injury concerns. So how he tests out uh, in that uh, realm will also go a long way. But Amarius Mims from Georgia. I think this guy has also uh, another guy with a lot of potential and showed a lot of polished form and ability in the little that he has shown, but also those injuries, they pile up. But as long as I think he gets cleared and there's nothing lingering that will kind of hamper him over the years and and bring down his durability. I think that he can maybe go even a little bit higher than most think. I think most people have him kind of near the end of the first round, if not even in the second round. I could see him no way jump making a huge jump. If if he clears, I think he can make it to top fifteen. I I I, I think that there's such a dearth and a void of offensive tackle talent, and so many teams looking for offensive tackle talent that if he gets the all clear medically, I could see teams falling over themselves to to get him at, at some point. Probably not so high where he passes the top four guys, uh, but still higher than where a lot of people have him.
0: Oh yeah, for sure. Um quickly on that topic, if if Mims gets past the past 25, I'll be really surprised. Like I, I just I've seen a I few big boards that
1: have him like in definitely in the second round, which I, I think is wild uh considering what he's able to do.
0: It is really um, not to get too off topic, but uh, to go on a a real quick tangent, um, if you look at the teams at at the back end of the first round, right at about the 20s through 26, 27, 28, a lot of them need offensive tackles. A lot of them need offensive tackles. And you're going to have the first three to four, maybe five guys go in the first round within the top 15 picks. It, it seems likely at this point that Joe Olu Olufoshanu are going to be top 10 picks. The Jets are almost certain to take whoever is their preferred t- offensive tackle three left uh, at 10 unless one of the two falls. Then those that guy will go at 10 and they'll be, you know, the next one off the board. And going down the list, at least at how I I have these guys graded, when you look at how the NFL values offensive tackles, guys with Mims' frame and his length and his strength and his anchor and his ability to, to keep a consistent kick and shuffle and move and mirror out to the edge at that size, they go in the first round as long as they know somewhat what they're doing and they're not completely and totally technically just lost those guys go in the first round. They go decently high. I think he goes top, top 25 if the medicals all check out. Yeah, that's, that's the big, the big thing, if. like you said.
1: And I'd love to see it. The, the more talent that kind of rises to the top, the better. Um, I have a question. Where mm-hmm. would you rank Mims if he kind of filled out his college career with the, without the injuries and kind of kept the, the level of play
0: that he threw out? Where would you rank them? Same total playing time, but no injuries because yeah. I think but that's no a good injury. point. Okay, um, I think I'd probably have him right about the same as I have him right now, because I okay. think, and this is kind of where this will change after the combine. But, and maybe I'm on an island here, and this is a stupid way of thinking. But you know, so be it. This is kind of what I've learned to value. Um, there is something to guys that can get hurt and recover and be okay and we talk all the time about how offensive line injuries are inevitable and how every team deals with them and you're going to need that depth because somebody's going to get hurt there's too much contact there's too much scrum there's too much awkward plants and lands and people falling on behind you and and the the risk is just way too high that eventually someone's going to get hurt so when you see an offensive or defensive lineman in particular have a couple of injury questions it's a little more understandable given the position that they play obviously you would like you know a player to have a clean bill of health entirely and not have to worry about longevity or or any sort of damage that could be lasting or nagging but i think for mims in particular we've known he's had injuries but we've seen him come back and put out a good season you know worth of play and if he can continue to recover and prove that he can get back to full strength and that the injuries aren't nagging him i think that might be you know not as worrisome as you would hope to think for an offensive lineman dealing with injuries it's kind of you just bite the bullet and accept the inevitable and look for guys that if they get hurt at least they can recover um based off his tape he's my ot six but i have probably seven or eight offensive tackles with top 32 grades so it being OT six in this class is by no means a knock. Uh, and I think that puts him right in, in the middle to end of that first round conversation. Um, and with a good combine performance and with a healthy, you know, clean bill of health, uh, I think that might jump him up for some teams because the guy I have ahead of him at five, uh, is Troy Foutnow from Washington and he's not quite the prototypical tackle build, and Mims is. And I think for certain teams, that would give Mims an edge. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I think just strength-wise also
1: uh, will probably give him a little bit of an edge. Um, but it's, it's going to be interesting
0: to see how it kind of plays out. Yeah, it really is. Um, my guy at tackle, uh, kind of in a different direction, is J.C. Latham at Alabama, a guy I've talked about a lot before. Um, Mainly, I'm really curious to see what direction he takes his uh, training, where he's listed by Alabama at six foot five, uh, 360 pounds or 365 or somewhere in that range. Um, Just a, a massive, massive hulking right tackle with the strength and power you would expect. But watching him on tape, I really didn't think he was that big. And it's not just in the sense of, oh, he's moving really well. There's no way he's that big and moving that well, because I don't think he's this incredible, you know, all world athlete. This isn't Makai Beckton we're talking about, um, where the movement skills and the agility and explosion at that size are just jaw dropping. I just think Bama's listing was wrong. And I think this happens all over the place in college football. And this isn't an uncommon thing whatsoever. I think he played closer to about 335 to 340. And so I'm curious to see if he gets to the combine, shows up and weighs in at 335 to 340. And everyone goes, oh, he lost some weight. He slimmed down. He showed he can get his weight down and, and, you know, stay under control. And he's not that big as he was listed. And he's moving well. Okay, you know, we can work with this. 340 isn't small either or anything like that. Or does he just fully lean into, I was listed at 360 because I want to come across as bigger and stronger, and I'm this hulking massive tackle. No one's expecting me to run really fast or be really agile anyway, so I'm just going to do everything I can to bulk up, add good weight, blow up the bench press, and, and dominate the scales and kind of take that route. Um, personally, my money is on him showing up lighter. And I think the, the story of the Combine is going to be JC Watham, 340 pounds and, you know, it's looking slimmer and, and, and is going to run well and is doing well in agility. And I'm just going to be sitting here being like, yeah, he played at 340 all season. Like it it seemed pretty obvious to me.
1: Hmm. What happens if he shows up uh, at 360
0: and then doesn't run well at all? then I think that's, you know, leaning into the fact that he wasn't going to run well at 340 either. And so, and for me with Latham, if you're going to knock him because he he doesn't run well, if that's going to be what changes your value is, oh, wow, this guy wasn't as explosive or fast or agile as I was expecting, you know, as these other guys, as this massive tackle, he's, I'm bumping him down. It's like, that's just poor tape evaluation because that's obvious from his tape. Like it's, it's clear he's not, this incredible explosive athlete but at offensive tackle if you have the length and the strength and the anchor and at least the short area quickness in your feet and the immediate explosion to get out and get to the edge when you have to and most importantly with Latham if you just have the the absolute carbonite hands that when you get a grip on people they just can't move you can kind of make up for that and so I'm That'll be an interesting conversation if he does go the other way and he comes and he's 365 and he runs four, three, one in the 40 and, you know, has a a, a one, nine, 10 yard split or something like that. It'll be, uh, it'll be an interesting conversation, but it's not really going to change my grade all that much because that's kind of what I've expected.
1: Yeah, I was just thinking as you're talking about that, like what would cause me to drop a prospect? Uh Dramatically from the, the combine. And there's very few uh, uh, things that could really happen that would kind of make me throw out what I've seen watching the tape. Um, the only, I could see things that could improve a stock uh, staying along the offensive line. Uh, there's a very storied history of offensive linemen that do a short shuttle. Uh, below a 4-3 or 4-2, I forgot what it was, uh, having great success in this league. So if I see somebody in the mid-rounds or the, uh, that I have in the mid-rounds or, or late and they are running a sub-4-2 short shuttle, I will go back and watch their tape again. And I probably, if I, don't, if I can't see it, I'll leave them where they are. But if there's even a glimpse of, of that movement skills, I will probably raise them up a little bit higher in my board. I did that with Dak Tom. Um, I did yes. that with, uh, oh, there's another guy that I'm failing to remember his name. But uh, it, each time that it's happened, I've bumped those guys up, and they have shown that they will uh, produce at the next level. Uh, so that's something I will look for, with especially along the offensive line.
0: Am I crazy, or is the guy you're trying to remember Oluwitimi?
1: Um. No, <laughs> it's somebody else. I, I, if, if I heard his name, I, I, would, I would know. it. But I, it's, it's happened a few times, where, and mm-hmm. each time I haven't been disappointed.
0: No, it definitely has. And you've been on, on the short shuttle for offensive line for a while. And it's, it's a, a decently common known um, indicator for a lot of people that look for trends uh, when it comes to testing. Because not every test is going to completely translate to every position. Uh, and so finding the commonalities of what players test well and what drills that end up going on to be successful, you know, not a perfect science, but any amount of consistencies that you can find, it definitely matters. Uh, and it matters for the entire offensive line. It's not just a tackle uh, drill for the short shuttle. If you're an offensive lineman and you do really well in the short shuttle, uh, it's really good for your future. Um, I want to bring up a, a Player in particular, we haven't talked about yet, Matt. I don't know if you've gotten to this guy, but I think this is a good conversation, uh, especially talking about the short shuttle. Have you seen Graham Barton from Duke yet? Graham Barton from Duke. Uh, I want to
1: say no. <laughs> oh wait, yes, okay. I have. Oh okay, wait, hold on. Start over. Yeah, I I, I have seen Graham Barton, and uh, yeah, he's definitely impressed, and he's definitely got the. Uh, Uh, the profile that can really, where you can really see him Mm -hmm. being a movable piece along the offensive line to wherever you really need him to be. Uh, I have a a high uh, second round or late first round grade on him. Uh, And really, it's a what do you want him for? If you want him for a tackle, then you'll probably want to take him in the first round. Uh, And if you want him for a guard or center, he's probably not going to be there if you wait for the second round. Uh, because somebody might take him and value him more for a a position like tackle was a little bit more of a positional value. Uh, but yeah, I like him a lot.
0: Okay. Okay. Um, this is not what I expected. Um, Matt, I think we have found the prospect we differ on most so far this year. Hmm. Um, oh this is weird. Every year we have one where we're just on the opposite side. We usually see things pretty similarly, but this year I think it might be Graham Barton. Um, I don't know where you play him. And it's not oh so much the sense that he's got the versatility to do you know this or that, or he could play tackle or he could play guard or center. I know he isn't playing tackle for me. He can't anchor. That's that's a a big, big worry for me is that he gets tossed around and that when he he has the technique, the the thing with Graham Barton that I like and that I'm not completely and totally just out and think that, you know, there's no shot with is that he's he's a smart player. He knows has, you know, how to position his body and, and. use whatever biomechanical advantages he can we see him get a wide base when he's trying to anchor he puts his hips out behind him he flexes that back to try and absorb the power he just can't do it he's not strong enough and at that point it's a physical deficiency not a technical deficiency and this is something that we've talked about a lot and i know i've said a lot on this show is there's a difference between a physical deficiency and a technical deficiency where if you can see somebody who knows how to technically do the best you know, thing to put themselves in good position to win and they still get overpowered or they still lose, then do they have the physical ability to do that consistently? If you see somebody who has good physical ability but doesn't isn't doing the right things technically, you can be taught technique. You can't be taught to just get that much stronger and not compromise your agility. So I think ultimately Barton's going to end up on the inside but I think he's going to do really, really well in the short shuttle. And I think he is explosive. And I think he has a good bit of forward momentum and power in his upper body to where when he needs to move the line of scrimmage or he needs to, to, to down block and turn a defensive end inside on a power play or if it's outside zone and he's the kick out and he's got to turn that defensive end outside and torque, he can do that. And, and he gets good drive off the snap. I think he plays a way too far over his toes. I don't really think he's that balanced. And I think he needs to kind of keep his center of gravity a bit lower and not so high and forward leaning because he ends up on the ground a lot. But the athlete and the short area quickness and strength as a guard or a center, I think there is a lot to like and a lot of potential there. And I think this is going to be a guy who's going to test really well in the short shuttle and in a lot of those quickness and agility drills that really matter for offensive linemen. But it's going to take him a little bit of time getting in one spot, getting his technique down, getting his center of gravity a bit lower before we start to see those results kind of pay off. I, I'm I think there's a lot to work with here. I just don't know if this is somebody that I'd feel comfortable coming in and saying, "Okay, day one, you're my starting you know guard in this situation, uh, left guard." Here you go, Graham Barton. I think t- from a a brain standpoint, being able to identify stunts and twists or blitzes or or slide the right way or redirect or or help out his teammates you know when he's uncovered and look for work i think all of that is there the attitude is there the effort is there the motor is there love the mentality from graham barton it's just the physical limitations have me kind of really concerned i mean that's it's definitely a, a valid point and one that i've
1: also, made note of, I, I, I have the inconsistent anchor as well. Uh, but also, there's I had one against the, the Kansas game in 2022, where I saw his anchor probably really impressed me in that game, where he was unmovable. Uh, but then, like you said, in other games, he does get tossed around. Uh, so consistency will go a long way. Uh, but unfortunately, we haven't really seen it as of yet. And if this were if we were talking about like the top ten, top fifteen, I would be a little uh, more hesitant uh, with uh, holding him higher than a lot of other prospects. But the fact that we're talking maybe uh, early second round, late late first, I think that I'm going to apply the Tippmann rule. And when I looked at Tippmann last year, I thought that he wasn't going to be ready right away either. I thought that he had a lot to learn in terms of uh, true pass sets and and learning to to, uh, snap the ball correctly in an NFL manner. And he picked it up very quickly. So really, it comes down to what kind of a player is he? What kind of a person is he? Is he the guy that's going to be a gym rat and really dedicate himself and show that growth over a short period of time? If he can do that and impress people that way, uh, I think he'll still go very high. Uh,
0: question. I have two questions. Yeah. Uh, this will this will be how we can kind of wrap up here. Unprompt, uh Graham Barton debate. Um, first, do you think he can play tackle at the NFL level?
1: Um, it wouldn't be my first choice. I think he can in a pinch. Uh, I would say if I were to kind of gauge him against AVT, I would probably have AVT a little ahead of him as in terms of being a, a tackle. Uh, but I, I don't think he, he, he'll be bad. I, don't, I think he'll be serviceable. Uh, but I would definitely kick him inside to really uh, get him to his full potential uh, and where he would probably feel more comfortable also.
0: Okay, okay. So you're thinking guard or center? Because I'm thinking guard.
1: Uh, I'm thinking guard as well. Uh, I know a lot of people see him as a, a best fit at center, but uh, I think his skill set just fits guard
0: just a little bit more for me. Okay, Last question, and this is kind of where uh, like I'm stacking him up in my brain. As a guard, who do you like better, him or Christian Hayes? Christian Hayes. <laughs> right? I just love right?
1: Hayes so much. Based, uh, first, his tape is amazing. And then you just look at his physical attributes, his like squatty, thick base, uh, his ability to just get that natural leverage, and how he just moves people with ease. And he's a good mover as well. So he's kind of got a lot of things going for him. Uh, I, think and not as I, do too. I think he's a first round uh, player. I think he's a first round player.
0: Like uh, straight up, I think he's a first round guard. I don't oh, know if a guard player. can go Sorry. in the first round. I, I You know, especially in this class with the depth that tackle one receiver and corner and and all of these premium positions. I don't know if if that's there's going to be a spot for him in the top 32, but I think he's one of the 32 best players in this draft easily. I, I think he's a day one starting guard at right or left, regardless of which side you want him on. That is going to be rock solid in pass protection. That is going to improve your your front of your pocket and keep your quarterback clean and give him room to step up and is just going to be bowling people over in the run game and telling them that he did it every single play afterwards and make your whole line meaner. Uh, change from Graham Barton to Christian Hayes, but uh, that's a first round player to me. And I, if I'm I'm seeing Graham Barton can t- routinely routinely rated a lot higher than him and I don't understand that at all. Let's see. I have an 88.9 for Haynes and
1: 88.1 for, for Barton. So I have them graded pretty closely, but Hayes is definitely my number one interior offensive lineman. Yeah. I, I have him over
0: Paris Johnson. I do as well. I, I wasn't as high on Paris Johnson as most. Uh, I liked him a lot. He's my second, and I think his senior bowl is really impressive too. But no, Christian Haynes is, is a different breed. Yeah, I, I think he's he's already got like that NFL look
1: to him. I, it, I could see him being a day one starter uh, uh, and really pummeling guys and having it look like he's been a pro for five years. Do you have a pro comp for him yet? Because I have two. Uh, no, I don't. I don't usually do a lot of comps, but that's
0: it. I, I don't have one for him right now. No. So the two guys that I kept going back to in my brain, Kelechi, Assembly and Trey Smith. Okay. I could see that. I like uh, the Trey Smith, is, especially with the the power that mm-hmm. he brings. And the mean streak. And the mean streak, yeah. I could definitely see that. Uh, it's a wonderful time of the year when we it can is. just wax poetic about draft prospects endlessly and, and constantly have things to talk about that isn't just the doom and gloom of the New York Jets. It's refreshing. It really is. Matt, anything else to add, or do you think we're ready to wrap this one up?
1: Um, I don't know. It's the, the Combine, I feel like, has become <laughs> a lot more commercialized uh, in the last maybe five years. Uh, so I feel like there's a lot of people jumping on and, and really uh, putting a lot more stock in it than I think we should. I mean, I don't think it's... Uh, an event that we should ignore at at all. Uh, but I could see a lot of people putting a, a lot more stock in what they do at the combine than what they did on tape. And I just cautioned people to really, you know, use this as a tool rather than the barometer.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's a really good way to uh, a really good way to put it. The combine is is not the final judgment. It should not be like you had mentioned before. You don't really know what could happen at the combine to really make you drop a prospect all that far or, you know, really the other way, really make them rise that much farther. I I, kind of use it as a separator to where I have two guys whose tape I really, really like. Like I'll use um, running back, for instance. The two guys I have as my RB2 and my RB3 are Bucky Irving and Trey Benson uh, from Oregon and FSU, respectively. And, And I really like both of them. They're practically tied in my brain. And I think either of them would be a really, really solid starting running back in the league. And if we get to the combine and Trey Benson runs 4-3-9 and Bucky Irving runs 4-4-8 and their 10-yard splits are are way better for Benson and Benson blows him away in the agility drills and is just clearly the better athlete, I'm probably going to end up moving Benson to two. But they're still going to be really, really close. And conversely, if I were to have one of the two of them fall and and have this horrible combine performance is it going to make me question what i saw on tape a little bit a little but it's really just going to make me want to go back and reconfirm what i saw and then if my eyes tell me the same thing a second time then gonna say okay could have been a bad test could explain away you know why this number wasn't the way it was and the fact of the matter is some guys are just faster in pads and faster when the game is being played and they have a different sort of level of game speed that can't really be tracked in, you know, a combine setting. And that's important, too. So it's not the the final nail in the coffin. It's just a whole piece of the equation. Exactly. Another puzzle piece. And that's the fun of draft season. Honestly, Is looking through all the puzzle pieces and combining all the bits of information to get the, the best quality, you know, evaluation of a prospect and what they can do and what they can become. If you just use one metric, if you put all your eggs into one basket, one way or the other, you're gonna end up wrong. You can't just be analytical. You can't just be tape grade. You can't just be physical numbers. You can't just be technical evaluation and ignore physical numbers. You have you have to factor in everything. And if you don't, you're just you're hurting your own evaluation process. And probably the biggest thing
1: that probably uh, goes towards success in this league is just who they are and, and what kind of a, a worker are they. Uh, right. I feel like that is something that gets ignored a lot because we can't see it as, as fans. Uh, we, we're not on the field with them practicing. We're not talking to the coaches. Uh, at least we're not. But those who, who do and have that insider information about what, what kind of guy that we're dealing with, uh, I think is
0: a huge advantage. Yeah. And that's why those guys get paid a lot of money to do this. And that's why it's difficult to keep your job and, and do it for a long time. And the guys that can routinely prove that they can find talent and, and find fits for whatever organization they're working for that turn into quality players. That's why those guys get paid a lot of money and get uh, plenty of jobs around the league for as long as they want.
1: Absolutely. Like if you go back and, and see, uh Garrett Wilson and Hall. Uh, and you were able to see the kinds of guys that they are that we see now now that they're pushed into the public eye a little bit more like it's easy to see and fall in love with them and see why they're succeeding. Uh, so I put a lot more stock into that and it's a shame that I can't even
0: really use it yeah no it's uh, it's always it's always funny for me um, of the guys that you saw the talent with that you really really liked that you just Either put your name on, and they ended up turning out really good, or you 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 wanted to put your name on, and they just didn't quite get there. Um, one recent guy for me that's like that is Isaiah Pacheco. Um, I really really liked him uh, when he was coming out of Rutgers, and I was just a little bit held back, thinking, you know, is this guy going to be able to hold up? It's Rutgers, like he's doing a lot by himself. He runs hard as heck. You know, every single run, it's like he's trying to just knock everybody out and he's explosive and he's quick and he can move in short areas and it's good receiver. But I'm like, I was just a bit worried about the level of competition and and, you know, is it going to hold up? And am I willing to put my name on a guy who was a running back at Rutgers and he ends up going in the seventh round? And and man, I wish I would have banged the table harder because it's it's killing me now looking back like, dang, like here I was wasting time being like keeping myself up at night going, do I, do I keep Isaiah Pacheco higher? Is he a top five running back? Is, am I going to make him top five? Am I not? And, and now here we are a few years later, and it's just like, you should have just went with your gut.
1: Yeah. And you know what? It, it, there's no right way to do this. It, you can go with your gut and be wrong also. So oh, and it, I have it, plenty of it, times. times. Yep. So really, it's all about, you know, successes and failures. See how you failed, why you failed. Maybe see if something that you can improve the next time around and just keep doing that until you have a better product in your own head.
0: Yeah, and I think that's the most important part. And I think that's a really good message to end on for anybody who wants to improve their ability uh, to evaluate. And it goes beyond just college to the draft, it can be being a smarter fan and, and understanding more of what's happening in front of you you know, having that, that humility to say, okay, I was wrong, why was I wrong, and what can I do differently in the future to not be wrong again? And accepting a, a miss in an evaluation. Uh, Matt, we say this all the time, we learn a lot more from the players we missed on than the ones we hit on. Oh, and, absolutely. And having, you know, that thought process to, to improve yourself and view every player that you either graded way too high that wasn't good or graded way too low that ended up being good view that as an opportunity to improve yourself and, and not view it as a, you know, as a negative and, and stick to your guns and your evaluation and blame something else. I couldn't agree more. All right. I think that does it for us for this week. Uh, going ahead in very short future, we'll be beginning our positional breakdowns going through every single position throughout this draft class one by one, giving our top five to ten players each and how we see them stack up. Had a, a few leaks throughout this episode talking about some players we differ on, um, but the extended conversations of that will be coming up very shortly as we continue through this draft off season free agency coming up very, very soon. The franchise tag deadline is either officially uh, started or about to start. If I'm remembering correctly, Uh, where teams have very, very soon will teams will have the window to potentially franchise tag, any upcoming free agents. Uh, Personally, I don't expect the jets to be making any use of it uh, unless it is to tag and trade Bryce Huff. And if they were to tag Bryce Huff, I think that's an indicator that a trade certainly could be uh, coming in the near future. We'll get through free agency like we always do. And then before we know it, the draft will be here in all of its glory uh, for what needs to be a a very uh, interesting, for lack of a better word, draft for the New York Jets. Like we've discussed, not a ton of ammo to work with, not a ton of money to work with, a lot of pressing needs that really could be uh, need uh, to be filled and not the most room to work with. We'll have to see how Joe Douglas navigates this. This, I think, will be his toughest challenge yet as a GM because the last couple of years he's had all the ammo and money in the world that he wanted to do and could need to, to make things happen. now he's got to get tricky and find the, the lower value moves that'll pay off and, and really kind of make his money as a general manager. We'll see how it happens. Hey, when people have their backs against the wall, sometimes they, they, they thrive. We'll, we'll see. Sometimes they thrive and sometimes they start Tim Boyle. So we yeah. will, we will see what happens. Uh, Thanks so much for tuning in, Matt. Let the people know where they can find you and we'll wrap this one up. Uh, Matt, you can find me at Zazzy Jets on X. And you can find me at Andrew Golden underscore 17. You can also follow the show at OKD Podcast. Thank you all one more time for tuning in and we will be back real, real soon. Bye-bye.